This is Keep It Simple, a weekly discussion of significant issues regarding the Word of God and His people. Our host is Pastor Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, and the Simple Truths Radio Ministries. Good day. Welcome to Keep It Simple, weekly internet talk show of the Simple Truths Radio Network with Pastor Xavier Reese, the Ministry of Calvary Chapel here in Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier, glad to be here with you today. Good morning, Tony, and everybody out there. We're looking forward to just a discussion on the kingdom of God. Amen. Also with us in the studio today, our studio engineer, Jonathan Duran. Good day, everybody. Welcome to episode 120. 120. We're making progress here. Yes, thank God. Today, as you said, Pastor Xavier, we're going to spend some time talking about what is a really important scriptural perspective of the kingdom of God. We find in the scripture a reference to the kingdom of God throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. But it seems, Pastor X, that the Jewish nation in the Old Testament and the perspective in the New Testament were somewhat somewhat different. Is that accurate? Well, um, again, the Jewish mind is two ages, present age and the age to come. The present age following evil, the age to come is when God would establish the kingdom age. But the phrase the kingdom of God is found from Genesis to Revelation, and many people have understood it in different ways and try to define it in different ways. Some people believe that uh, the kingdom of God simply is the eternal state of heaven with no relationship to the earth. And then others believe and think that the kingdom of God is simply spiritual, as God rules over the hearts of men in the present age, unrelated to the earth. And still others think the kingdom of God is to be political and and social activity now. And so you see a lot of people getting active politically and all that. And yet I I never read in uh, in the New Testament where Jesus uh, or Paul told them to go have a march in Caesar Boulevard and and Herod Avenue. Uh, It just didn't happen. Um, you demonstrate then you, you were killed. So they weren't, uh, they live in the world, but not of the world. They didn't believe that the world could be turned by, by political means or by human means. And still others, uh, they attempt to, um, use the kingdom of God in a social justice, and that's real big today. Um, liberation or liberating or liberation theology, either way, yeah. uh, is what is used by the Sandinistas in South Central America to overthrow governments. Um, it, it was used tremendously through um, President Barack Obama, through his uh, his pastor, Reverend Wright, uh, which I call Reverend Wrong. And um, it, it's, it's a corruption of the gospel to culturalize it, to racialize it, or use it as, as a vehicle uh, through the social agenda to advance your personal cause. And it's a corruption of the Word of God. Actually, there are... I think there are a lot of Marxist organizations Absolutely. that try and use this idea of liberation theology to bring about Absolutely. their cultural design. We see it right now happening in the United States in different ways. And certainly um, uh, that's, that's not what God meant by the kingdom of God. It's interesting. A moment ago you said you made reference to the kingdom age. When you said that, you're speaking of the millennial kingdom. Right, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. Which is distinct from the kingdom of God. Very, very distinct. It's part of the kingdom of God. Right. As we'll see the distinction between them. Now, throughout the scripture, the kingdom of God is presented as eternal, 
which is accurate, isn't it? I mean, the kingdom right. of God is, is attached to God's eternal presence. It is eternal. Right. He's eternal. But again, right now, it's being unfolded in a process of, uh, of the Old Testament being fulfilled, making the transition to the 400 years of silence into the New Testament and now the church age. So the kingdom of God is progressive. It's, it's present and yet to come. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it's like an eclipse where you see the eclipse of the moon, it begins, it touches the one aspect, then it continues to permeate further into the circle. And when it is completely, what eclipse, they're lined up exactly, that would be the arrival of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, the second coming to set up the kingdom. Here so it is present and yet to come. And so that, because the present aspect of it, that would be the temporal nature of the kingdom right. of God working through a God's purpose at work right. in the heart. And it's man. spiritual and it's physical because we certainly have physical bodies and yet we have been born again spiritually and God deals with us and God speaks to us and God directs us and yet the fallen world is totally oblivious to it, blind, mm-hmm. dead in trespasses and sins as we were at one time. Um, and so therefore the compassion for the lost person is that they are dead and blind. And uh, though they may do many evil things or things that are just unjust, we understand why they do it. We don't we don't condone it. We don't accept it. But we understand why they do it because they're lost. They're lost. Amen. That you know, Pastor Xavier, that is got to be one of the most amazing things as a believer. How you you every day you see the hand of the Lord revealed in events in people's lives in uh, national news, yeah. in so many things. You see the hand of the Lord answered prayer, people healed, all these things, and how people who are not born again can absolutely have no concept Nothing. of what's going on. Nothing. It's amazing. Yeah. It really God is, is behind the scenes. But we have to be careful we don't believe or teach that God is controlling everything in a way that human will is totally uh, denied or negated or canceled out. Right. Okay, we cannot do that. So God is in control. Yes. God is not biting his nails, but he, he knows the end from the beginning and he uses um, mankind to bring about his will sometimes. He uses his own goal and purposes to bring out other things, but yet man is always a free moral agent, yes. whether they are believers or non-believers. If you remove free moral agency, then you cannot judge mankind. Amen. Amen. There must be free moral agency of the unbeliever as well as the believer for there to be a just judgment, either of judgment for punishment or judgment for reward. Amen. And the choices that people make have to have eternal significance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, God is just, and if we as, um, human people, fathers, mothers, we, uh, um, we teach our children, we restrict them, we set boundaries, and then we say, if you cross this boundary, then there are certain consequences. Now, we do this not because we hate our children, we do this because we know that the boundaries we have set are good and moral and ethical for them, and we want the best for them. And if they cross those lines, those boundaries, we know, first of all, that it will hurt them and mark them and not lead them in the right way. Plus, it's rebellion against the authority over them. Yes. So there must be consequences. 
if there's going to be any true effectiveness. Without, there's no authority yeah, without it's, consequences. It's interesting you say that because when parents allow children to ignore their authority, they're teaching them and preparing them to ignore the authority right, of God. Right, right. And without, without consequences, you had just destroyed authority. There is no authority. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that in our world today. Now, Pastor X, people generally associate the kingdom of God with the nation of Israel, understandably. Are there any earthly or territorial limitations to the kingdom of God? Um, no, because um, God is um, is looking at the whole picture of the world. He's, he's tr- transcending. He's transcending. You yeah. can't. He's beyond our finding. I don't, when he gave the um, uh, the dream to um, Nebuchadnezzar, he began with the time of the Gentiles. It began with Babylon, and it goes on the Medo Persia, Greece, Rome. Um, then there's a pause of the church age, and then there's the last week of the seventh week of Daniel, Daniel nine twenty seven, the ten toes, the ten nations of iron and clay. So he he, it's all his kingdom. He's working it out, but it's and there's different aspects. Although it's the kingdom of God, he allows the Gentile powers to be in control right now. Israel is not in control. Now today, there's elections going on in Israel. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. There's going to be very very important consequences. Yes. On what happens, who opposes Israel, and what is it and how they oppose her. It goes back to Genesis twelve three. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. And you can go age by age, generation by generation, decision after decision, um, covenant, treaties, whatever it is, towards or against Israel, and you will see something happening to that individual, to that nation, or to that government. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, for years, and I've shared this before, uh, I, the, the nation of France is interesting to me. By the way, we understand there are a lot of people listening to S- Simple Truths Radio. From, That's what they say. From France. And <laughs> yeah. so, hey, we're, we're grateful told. to have you out there. We hope you enjoy uh, the broadcast today. <laughs> but uh, directly following the, the French Revolution, which was a debacle, mm-hmm. French Revolution was horrific beyond description. Sure. And it just destroyed the nation from top to bottom. Removed every foundation. And all the finances, financial, yep. military, Everything was just devastated. And in a short period of less than 20 years, France was an amazing world power that actually was controlling the territory of Europe for the most part. Italy, Spain, all over the place. And I wondered for years, why on earth would that? How is that possible? It's happened. And I stumbled upon a fact not too many years ago that in during the French Revolution in what they called the Articles of the Rights of Man that were laid out by some of the revolutionaries. For the first time in the history of the world, human rights were attributed to Jewish people. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is God's hand of favor yep. upon this nation yep. because they acknowledged the Jewish people in yes. the way that they did. Yes. Crazy stuff. You know, Pastor X, we're talking about this, uh, the kingdom of God. I know there are people out there who are maybe not Bible scholars, just casual readers of the Bible, and they're thinking, do you know, do I really need all this detailed information? Do I need to really understand these ideas about the kingdom of God and to have a, a grasp of these things? Is that important for me? Yeah. How would you respond to that? Well, again, we're called to study throughout the Word yeah. for Old and New Testament. As children of God, we are to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved. So that we can discern what is right, what is there, 
so we can discern from the truth of God's revelation to man's philosophies, their psychology, their, their, their whatever teachings are. So we are to be able to make a distinction. Now, it doesn't mean everybody has to be able to pontificate the aspects of the Trinity and, yeah. and, you know, and all this. But if you go from Genesis to Revelation and you, and you read and you study, then you're going to see that God, uh, very simply calls out people from darkness and transforms them by a new heart. And there's a relationship that goes on and there's a, a, a drastic transition that goes on from being one who does not know God, doesn't care about God, lives for self, and now for God. The God of the Bible, according to the revelation of God's word, not according to our own imagination. Amen. And when that happens, then there's a personal relationship, uh, whether it be through the Old Testament sacrifices that we're all prefiguring Jesus Christ, or coming out to the New Testament is through Jesus Christ. And so we study to be able to communicate to those who are lost, as we were one time, the love of God, that he gave his only son to die in our place, that our sins might be forgiven, and to give the reason why it was necessary for God to do that. Because he's holy, and he can't look upon sin. And no human man or woman was sufficient to pay the price of sin because they are also fallen and tainted. Therefore, God sent his only son, who is the epitome of holiness, and he emptied himself of his glory, never of his deity. And he took on human form. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself, emptied himself of that glory. And then he went to the cross. Amen. Amen. What a miracle. Yes. What a miracle. That's it's wild. You know, it's interesting, and I think you mentioned a moment ago talking about uh, the different kingdoms uh, that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar that vision concerning. You say in your study that Scripture sets forth the idea that God's kingdom has at certain times worked with the authority of men. Are, are there other biblical examples of that dynamic at work? Well, we have, uh, again, uh, as as we see with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God raised up uh, Cyrus. He calls him his anointed. And he used Cyrus, and he gave him the plan how to overtake Babylon through the levee gates by deflecting Euphrates rivers without firing a shot. While uh, Belshazzar is having a drunken party and orgy in there, and he's just mocking, and he's laughing at these guys, these Medo-Persians that are outside the wall because he believes that Babylon's impregnable. You can't, you can't get in here. And as he is, the hand from... With the finger right on the wall, meaning we need to tickle your farce. And you've been weighed, you've been, you're a lightweight, and you're dead tonight. And that night, he was put to death. Amen. And so God works through men, but then again, here's Cyrus. He's anointed. But he proclaims Cyrus for 150 years before he's born. Isaiah 45. Yeah. And, um, and, and yet, he wasn't forced. Um, and how does that work? We don't understand. But he gives people a chance whether they're going to obey or not. Amen. Now, he knows the end, so he can take some before it happens. So when it happens, we know that God knows it. To us, it baffles us. How is it possible? Then we, we go to one extreme or the other. Either God is in control completely and no one has a free will. Or we go to the other extent and we think that you know free will just would be a problem for God. Or even deism. You yeah. Know, we're in total control. Right. God just letting us do whatever. It's ridiculous. Yes. Unfortunate. You know, in the scripture, again, in your study, what about the kingdom of God? Uh, you mentioned that uh, the kingdom of God is often associated with miraculous situations. Is that always the case? Is the kingdom of God work exclusively through the miraculous? No. 
Oh. No, the kingdom of God has different apps, like I said, in the, in the garden one way. Uh, after the Noah flood, he worked through another way. And then through the law, most another way. But the miraculous is God's sovereign right to intervene and to remove all natural laws and to do as he wills. To give evidence that he is present, that he is doing what he wants to do. So when healing takes place, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, God sets aside the normal natural laws of the fallenness of the world, the corruption, the disease, and he intervenes and he heals a person sometimes because they believe they can be healed, trusting God's word. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the person is completely ignorant and he gets healed anyway. <laughs> uh, we have, you know, the, the Old Testament, um, Naaman the leopard. Right. Uh, in fact, he was insulted that Elijah would not come and, and you know, say, wave his hand over him and say, hey, be healed. And he sent his son, his servant to him, Hazai. He said, hey, listen, go dip yourself seven times in the dirty Jordan. And he gets upset. He tells the servant, you know, I mean, aren't there better rivers, you know, the far, far, and this and that up and, you know, where we're in coming Syria. from? Yeah, in Syria. <laughs> and, and, and the servant's just wise, you know. He says, listen, master, what's the big deal? So you go down there, dip yourself, and if you don't get healed, we go home. But what the heck? He goes out there, and he doesn't believe he's going to be healed. He comes out seven times, pink as a baby. <laughs> you know, he is healed. <laughs> it's amazing. amazing. It wow. really is. Is wild wow. and how you know God uses uh, humility and common sense to yes. touch the hearts of yes. people. Now I, I keep as we're doing this broadcast today, I'm making reference to your your study. What about the kingdom of God? And that actually, if if somebody out there you want to listen to it, it's from uh, um, actually from May 31st of last year. You can look it up on the Calvary Chapel Pasadena.com website and listen to the entire uh, Bible study. And actually, you can download the notes. As well, one of the things I picked up in looking at your study, Pastor X, concerning the kingdom of God, you said that the kingdom of God is a theocracy. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a brief explanation of theocracy? A theocracy is, uh, is defined as the government of the state by the immediate direction of God, such as Yahweh reigning over Israel uh, in an earthly kingdom, say during the time of Israel and stuff like that, uh, through Moses. So God is uh, is ruling through man. Uh, he does it also through the book of Judges, through the Judges, and then through David, through uh, the time of David. And so at different times, uh, God is in control through that individual or that nation. Mm -hmm. um, and so now today, God does that through the church, but the church is not a nation. Right. It's not a civil government. It's not a civil government. Right. So it's quite different from the Old Testament nation of Israel. Now, when people... Uh, have the criticism, for instance, uh, like, for instance, they will cite uh, the, the biblical perspective concerning homosexuality and say, you know, you know, you, you Christians, you want to stone all these people to death. And which is absolutely untrue. Right. Absolutely untrue. You know, we're hoping they all come to church, actually. Right. But uh, the reality is, and then they go back to the Old Testament, you know, to Leviticus or Exodus right. and say, well, isn't this what you believe? And the reality is, is that distinction is because Israel was a civil government. Right, right. And, and they had to have laws concerning the church is not. Right, right. And the thing is, too, that God gave them a land. And God gave 430 years to all the occupants of the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. Yes. Not Palestine, land of Canaan. And... Um, God told Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis that he couldn't give uh, the land to them until the abomination of the Amorites was fully come. 
the abomination of the Amorites was that point in time of 430 years where they would have to repent. And once the nation was in Israel for those 400 years, then he brought her out and used her as an instrument to judge the nations, which means that God gave in a way that we do not know. We are not told, but by that very proclamation, that he gave them a set amount of years to repent. Once they crossed that line, now judgment was coming. And he said, when you go in, you destroy everybody in the land because lest you make marriages with them, your children, and then you learn their evil ways. The land is vomiting them out and they will vomit you out also. And they, as we know, they compromised, and so Israel became corrupt also, and, and, and it starts all over again. Yeah, it's interesting, no matter how perfect God's plan is, when we rebel, when we disobey, there are consequences in the kingdom of God. And we see that throughout the scriptures. Yes, yes. So those things in the land, um, whether it be homosexuality, bestiality, or whatever it is, yeah. it's an offense to God. So anybody who who practices those things is to repent. We don't believe that you're to be stoned. God said that in the law as he's giving them a lamb. Okay, that's distinct from us. If you look to the New Testament, Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthians, some of you were fornicators, adulterers, sodomites, so on and so forth, but now you are cleansed. Now you are justified. And so uh, a fornicator uh, has to repent. A thief has to repent. A liar has to repent. A homosexual has to repent. And in that repentance, God gives you a new heart and a new mind, a new nature, and you now are able to live as a Christian, Christ-like. Not perfect, not sinless, but you can hit the mark now. Amen. Amazing. One of the things that you see throughout the Scripture is how God uses... Either uses the failure of man, or he works in spite of the failure of man to bring about amazing things. You, you mentioned ago a minute that the uh, the kingdom of God was at work through Adam in the Garden of Eden. Right, it was a theocracy. Right, God was ruling through Adam and his wife there overseeing, and then Adam's failure, his sin, his rebellion against God becomes an opportunity for the last Adam sure, for the coming of yes. Christ. Yes. And we have the promise right there in Genesis chapter 3. Right. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. That's the first mention of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He would redeem the world. A uh, woman has no seed in herself. She has the egg. The man provides the seed. Amen. And Matthew uh, one twenty three picks it up. It says that this is in fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son. She call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Should we see the life of Noah, Noah's ministry and the, the covenant he has with God as an opportunity for God to establish the kingdom of God or reestablish the kingdom? Sure, every, every aspect of it. Okay. Uh, you have it in the garden. You have it in, in, with Noah. Uh, you have it w- with uh, Abraham. Um, you have it through the nation of Israel uh, after the patriarchs and, and, and David. And then you have it through the church. Amen. Completely. The plan of salvation that the Lord brings, he really picks up some momentum in the life of Abraham because of the whole idea of justification by faith, I think. You know, the way that God worked and 
I'm right now. I'm just reading the Book of Romans myself, and I'm just kind of amazed yeah. at the thing. I probably read the Book of Romans a hundred times, but I mean, it's incredible. It, book. it is wild yeah. the way that he, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, just lays out these ideas how God right. used Abraham and the fact that he was not really a Jew right, at right. the time he became right, saved. Right. He, Abraham he was, was a pagan, yeah. pagan Gentile out of Mesopotamia, you know. And uh, God called him out, and he didn't obey right away. The first call of Abraham is at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis. The second call of Abraham is in chapter 12. He went to Haran, and he didn't leave Haran until the death of his father. Then he obeyed God. Which was just a little disobedience there. God was was being gracious to him. He didn't say, I'm going to go pick somebody else. God was patient. God is long-suffering. I'll tell you, I, I know that from personal experience. Should we see God's hand upon the nation Israel as his desire to bring about a theocracy? Or is there more going on? Well, the ultimate end of go again, God wants to rule over every person's heart and life. Individually. Individually now. Yeah. So he wants to set up that theocracy personally, me and him, and collectively, corporately through the church. Um, the, the, uh, everything in the past is done. Uh, the Old Testament covenant is, 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 has been put away to an extent for a while. Um, that is still going to be fulfilled through Israel in the millennial kingdom. Uh, a lot of people teach replacement theology that God is through with Israel, the nation, and then now the church is Israel, spiritual Israel. That's completely wrong. Amen. Unbiblical. In fact, it leads to anti-Semitism. Um, Paul the Apostle says in Romans, we were just talking about in chapter 9, 10, and 11, about God's love for Israel as well as Paul's love for Israel. He could wish himself a curse for Israel's sake. But God doesn't swap and God doesn't make deals. But he speaks how God will deal with Israel once again. Blindness in part has happened to Israel right now, Romans 11 says, until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. The last and full number of those to be saved till the rapture. Once the rapture takes place and God then begins to deal with Israel once again from the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9.27, which brings us to Revelation chapter 6 when the Antichrist appears on a white horse with a bow with no errors. He conquers through diplomacy and deception completely. You know, Pastor X, you mentioned again in your study, what about the kingdom of God? Uh, satanic opposition to the kingdom of God. And, and you know, I mean, I suppose it's the same of everything else. We have the world, the devil, and our own flesh yes. that are all working contrary to God's purpose. And one of the things is, as you, as you said, you know, God's desire for us to be obedient. You know, without our obedience, our willing participation in God's purpose, we are without hope. Right. We have to do that. Um it's not as if the kingdom of darkness is really competing with the kingdom of God because the enemy, he, he's a usurper. Right. He, he has no rights right. to the kingdom. You know, it's all God's, but, but it's just this, it's a fringe element that unfortunately is very destructive. Sure, sure, yeah. Satan's a squatter. Right. Uh, when, um, when, when Adam listened to the enemy, he forfeited dominion. His, his rights. Right. Not the earth. Right. The earth does not belong to Satan. Amen. The earth belongs to God. It is God's. So what he did, what he forfeited and handed over with the dominion. So now Satan's the God of this world with a small g. He is, uh, he rules over the heart of fallen creation, um, as spiritually dead. But 
they don't belong to him. They are his by the fall, but God is the creator. And so that's why God wants us to be born again so that he can redeem us. Yeah. You cannot redeem something. If, 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 you, if you go to a pawn shop and you go redeem it, it's because you're the one that hawked it. You were the original owner. You're the only one who can right. take it back. Now, after a certain date, anybody can come in and buy it. But they don't, they don't come in and say, hey, can I redeem that? No, it, it wasn't yours. So mankind is redeemed because we belong to God originally. Through the fall, we became sons of the devil. Yeah. And so now God, by the grace of God, he redeems us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through repentance, and then we belong to him. His kingdom is constantly trying to be established in the hearts of men. Ultimately, one day, his kingdom will be established on the earth yes. in the millennial kingdom to fulfill all the promises to Israel given back in the Old Testament. If you look at the kingdom of Solomon, which was the greatest kingdom, he still did not occupy all the borders that God gave to Abraham. It goes all the way up to Lebanon and to the Euphrates River down to Egypt. Yeah. It, it has never been occupied by Israel. I mean, that's all the way up into Iraq. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that will be during the kingdom age. And then, of course, after the thousand years, then you have the eternal state. And that, the kingdom of God, is included in that. So the kingdom of God has different um, dispensations, if you will. Yeah. Uh, different economies as we move along in it. Uh, just as the um, the day of the Lord has a lot of events. It has the, uh, the removal of the church, the appearance of the Antichrist, um, false deception. You have wars, pestilence, death, so on and so forth. Then you have the abomination of desolation. Then you have the mark of the beast. Then you've got the second coming. So you've got a lot of events in that last seven years. And the same thing uh, with the kingdom of God, the different programs that are going on. Ultimately, he will set up his kingdom. And you understand, you know, why the scripture exhorts us to rightly dividing the word of God. Right. It's right. so important. Yes. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Keep It Simple. And we'll be right back with you after these messages. Good Friday is a reminder of the compassion and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was flogged, made to wear a crown of thorns, and eventually crucified alongside two common criminals. Jesus, you endured my Xavier Reese. We want to invite you to come and celebrate with us Good Friday. We're going to be looking at the fourth saying from the cross, forsaken for us, as the Lord became sin for us, and then he did the greatest miracle. He rose from the dead. Otherwise, that payment would have been worthless. Join us at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, as Pastor Xavier delivers a Good Friday message, forsaken for us, April 19th at 12 noon and 6 p.m. We want to rejoice and celebrate. We invite you to come and celebrate with us. That's CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Pastor Xavier Reese and the pure, incorruptible, simple, and true Word of God. The Word is described in many ways in the Scriptures, you know, as water that cleanses the believer. As a two-edged sword, it convicts and corrects the believer. As truth to sanctify the believer's life. Jesus says, Thy Word is truth. Check the online program guide for Pastor Xavier Reese's daily expositional studies here on Simple Truths Radio at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. This is Pastor Xavier. I want to invite you to our sunrise service in Pasadena. 
God's been good to us for 32 years, and we want to invite you for the 33rd one. Looking forward to just seeing many come to Christ and just celebrate the risen Christ. He is risen indeed. Once again, it's Calvary Chapel Pasadena's Easter celebration at Victory Park, Easter Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Or join us for additional services at the church at 9 or 11.30 a.m. Victory Park is located at 2575 Paloma Street in the heart of Pasadena. Calvary Chapel at 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, two blocks west of Sierra Madre Boulevard. Come to worship, hear the good news, and celebrate the risen Lord at Calvary Chapel Sunrise Service, 7 o'clock at Victory Park, or Calvary Chapel Pasadena at 9 and 11.30, Sunday, April 21st. Good Friday services, too, April 19th at noon and 6 p.m. Details at calvarychapelpasadena.com. We invite you to come and celebrate with us. God bless you. We return now to Keep It Simple and this week's discussion, addressing issues of consequence for the church. Hosted by Pastor Xavier Reese of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. And you're back with us here at Keep It Simple today talking about important biblical perspectives concerning the kingdom of God with Pastor Xavier and and Jonathan Duran. And uh, really excited, you know, we are approaching an interesting time of the year. What uh, many, what we would have called back in the world, we would have called it Holy Week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you know, as as followers of Christ, today every week is Holy Week for us. Yes. But uh, yes. we are we're looking forward to Good Friday on April nineteenth, and then Easter Sunday on the twenty first, and we'll have uh, services here at the church and uh, on Easter Sunday seven a.m. Yes, and at, music at by uh, Heritage, the Heritage Band on Friday, on Good, Good Friday, Friday for both services at noon and six p.m. And mm-hmm. so we encourage you to come on out. Out and invite your friends and loved ones, your religious relatives. That you know, we have a lot of former Catholics come out on a Good Friday, and uh, the Lord loves them. And yes. we're just grateful yes. to have the opportunity to serve those people because the Lord has been so good to us day by day. Yes, you know, Pastor X. Last week, one of the things we mentioned, we were talking about Jesus' ministry and the interesting perspective of the apostles, how they were so focused on the coming of the kingdom of God. Yes. They had this idea in their head. And partly, and I've been thinking about this, partly I understand it because Jesus spoke so much about the kingdom of God throughout his ministry. And he related it to either the the, uh, the vast, huge crowds or even his disciples in specific ways for them to understand. Even the religious leaders, you know, yes. said, told them yes. the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah, and, and, and that's used uh, throughout the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist opens up. Right. Um, uh, and, and also Matthew is the only one that uses the kingdom of heaven. Right. Okay. So there's a slight distinction between the two. The kingdom of heaven deals with the ultimate establishing of God's kingdom upon the earth. Okay. It's a process of progression, as we said, the kingdom present and yet to come. The kingdom of God is found five times in Matthew only. And that includes more than just the redemptive part and establishing includes the angels, everything that God has. That's the big picture. So, yeah, the big picture is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is his attempt and his process of establishing his rule and reign in the individual heart, in the millennial kingdom, and so on and so forth, all the way down. Well, a lot of those things are also just associated with the coming of Christ. Right. The Messiah being right. revealed right. for who he is. And, of course... His death on the cross. Right. And as we were talking about the um, apostles, uh, we said the Jews saw only two ages. Right. The present age, the fallen age, and the age to come. So they were they were looking for the coming of Messiah to destroy Rome and to set up the kingdom. 
And that's why um, James and John asked Jesus for the right hand and the left hand, and they brought their mommy along. Whether you get it in Matthew, you get it in Mark 10 also. And uh, and Jesus says, it's not for me to give you the kingdom to do that. That's up to my Father. But they understood it, that Jesus in, in Luke um, 19, 11, Mm-hmm. That because they were close to Jerusalem, they believed the kingdom of God was going to be established in. Where we're not left to our uh, subjective interpretation. It says it very clearly. And so therefore, that's why they asked the right and the left hand. They believed that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, knock off Rome, and set up the kingdom. And James and John wanted the right and the left hand in his glory. But they didn't see there was a pause of the grace right. of the age of grace, the church age. Not until after the resurrection, at the day of Pentecost, as Jesus talked about with them for forty days about the kingdom of God. Yeah, after the resurrection. After the resurrection, many things. And so, but they, as they had that Jewish mind, now after the uh, being uh, baptized with the Spirit and all, they understood now. And so they preached the kingdom of God coming. But now in the right biblical way, that's the second coming to establish the millennial yes. kingdom and the church reigns with him. And then the white throne judgment and the eternal state of being with God. It's always fascinating to me in the scripture that people have all these ideas and Jesus doesn't always correct them. Right. He just continues to feed them with the truth. He doesn't stop to say, well, no, let's straighten out your thinking about all these different things. He, he, I yeah. guess he knows that's going to happen in time, but he continues to feed them with the truth and tell people the things that they want to know. It's wild. You know, as we're looking at, and you just mentioned uh, Jesus's ministry to the apostles after the resurrection, that for 40 days he, he talked to them about these things. Uh, it's it, the, There are aspects of the kingdom of God that are at work in the book of Acts, and we think in the church today. The kingdom of God is being revealed and his work. Is that different than the ultimate fulfillment and in, in what way? Well, the kingdom of God is, is, is seen in the power of God to transform people. The kingdom of God is, is, is demonstrated in, um, in God's ability to open doors and to close doors. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is demonstrated in his blessing to the believer and also in his discipline to the believer. And also in his dealing with the Gentiles at the time. Uh, he's in control, but never, uh, without or apart from the free moral agency of man. Yeah. Everybody's free to make any decision they want. A young lady and a young man can either wait till God brings them together and be honorable towards each other and get married and do it the right way, or they can jump the gun and get sexually involved and do it the wrong way. It is a choice. Though God is able to forgive us, there are consequences. Amen. And those consequences are not removed all the time. Yeah. We have to live with those consequences. It's true. You, you always think about that. You know, you see people, because in a church, we're, we're exposed to a lot of people all sure. the time, and people get messed up. Yeah. And we see those consequences, and, and you know that people would, there's a regret. Yes. There's a real regret. People always wished they had made the wiser choice. Sure. And the wiser choice is always to honor God and to keep his word and to be faithful yes. and to follow him. Yes. 
whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, it's interesting how it's always associated with the coming of the Messiah, either the first coming as a partial fulfillment of the kingdom of God, or the second coming as Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation as a fulfillment. As we're looking for the kingdom of God in scripture, the offer of forgiveness in Christ's first coming is an important aspect of God's kingdom for men, isn't it? Yes, it provides um, the vehicle by which we can be one with God. It is believing that Jesus died for me. He died in my place. He made the payment for my offenses and sins and travel against God. Sin is always vertical first against God, then against man or with man. But the forgiveness first has to be vertical, recognizing your sins against God. When David sinned in Psalm 51, he says, against you and only you have I sinned. And yet he sinned with Bathsheba and against Uriah two ways. He took his wife and defiled her and then he killed Uriah. Amen. So first vertical. And so we get right with God, recognizing our sin, confessing our sin, abandoning our sin and allowing God to give us that new heart so we can live as believers and then that's god's grace amen and then we we need to make that decision and walk day by day one day at a time it's interesting to me the way that jesus portrays the kingdom of god in the gospel of john as he talks to nicodemus and mostly because of who nicodemus is i mean if nicodemus had been a beggar on the street or a prostitute or somebody else it would have been maybe interesting but because nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a member of the ruling council right. of the Jews. Uh, Jesus refers to him as a, what? A teacher of Israel. Right. And yeah, and then Jesus tells him, you can't see the kingdom of yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even see In fact, see he it. rebukes him. And you, you're a teacher and you don't know this. Yeah. And again, it's very hard for the natural man, even uh, as intellectual as you may be and as smart as you may be, as uh, many accolades and degrees you may have. If you're, if you don't accept the revelation of God through his word, then you are in rebellion against God. In fact, you're insulting God because he has gone out of the way to make his word reveal because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. So we are not saved because we're good. We're saved because we agree that we're good for nothing and that Jesus justified me. I am trusting his atoning Efficiency for the death of the sins of the world accepted by the Father, a real death, a real payment. And the affirmation was the resurrection. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, there would be no benefit in his death at all, even though he was God. He had to be risen from the dead to demonstrate that he destroyed both death and the devil. Amen. And without the regenerating work of, of God upon our lives, those things are, we're unable to see them. Sure. We can't understand them. It's kind of terrifying to me how the world we live in has redefined um, learning. Yes. Redefined understanding as only intellectual, only right. academic. This is the only kind of real learning that there is. When right. in fact, the supernatural revelation of God to the individual is so much more important and significant in the life of every person. And yet it's a thing that's relegated to 
uh, they just cast it off as sure, foolishness, sure. meaningless. Yeah. And, and the only way that, that the world, as we see it and as we know it, fallen, the only way it makes sense is yes. if we believe God's revelation of the fall. Yes. It tells you why there's evil in the world. It tells you why the world creation is the way it is. It explains it. Yes. So if you, if you, if you put together God's word and natural uh, revelation of man through science, through nature and all of that, it does not contradict. It complements. It explains. It, it opens up. And so therefore any separation from the intellectual natural from the spiritual revelation is absolutely crazy. Because now you've got to build a whole system of your own as they have through evolution yeah. and everything else, sociology, psychology, to try to understand man. When the Bible tells you why there's wars, because man's heart's evil. Yes. Jeremiah 79, that's, simple. That's Amen. Somebody always wants a bigger piece of the pie, if not the whole pie. Simple. I don't see how a person can stay sane without a biblical worldview in light of what goes on in our world today. You know, if you're trying to tell yourself that, you know, we're good and then all these terrible killings and things, you know, happen, how do you justify that in your mind? And stay? I, think, yeah. I think, John, what that boils down to is we have to redefine the word sane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a complete sure. denial of everything that goes on naturally. Sure. And uh, it's, it's absolutely wrong. And it's one of the, as you, as you're born again, you come to faith in Christ. I mean, I spent years uh, pursuing Eastern religion and, and, uh, you know, reformed Hinduism and all kinds of different things and reading and studying and meditating and all that kind of crud. And, Mm -hmm. um, the reality is there's no viable explanation for why the world is the way it is. The world is at war with itself. It's a mess and human beings don't have the ability to provide leadership, guidance, direction. They can't, guide, they can't rule themselves. That's right. We need the kingdom of God. You need, you need God's presence, God's word, God's fear, uh, his wisdom. Otherwise, we rule unjustly. We, we are tyrants. Um, we think of uh, the trinity of darkness, me, myself, and I first. That's right. That's it. And, you know, they say you talk about civil government. And there's always a complaint about, well, you know, we need more police on the street. The reality is... You cannot put enough police. If you made every right. other person a policeman, you still wouldn't have enough policemen to make people do the right thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, <coughs> it must be hard trying to put the responsibility on other people in, in your mind, you know, for why yes. things are the way they are. Well, we need more of this. We need to educate people not to do this and that. You can do that all you want, yeah. but, you yeah. know, if you don't understand that man has fallen. Yeah, education uh, without belief in God. Only makes you a smarter sinner. <laughs> That's all it does. Yeah. Education with a belief in God makes you a very productive, yeah. a very wise person for mankind. You become a benefit to everybody Absolutely. around you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's true. You know, Pastor X, it's interesting that during the ministry of Jesus, the offer of regeneration to, to people is only to the children of Israel, only to the nation of Israel. Of course, you know, his ministry is maybe four years at the longest, right. three and a half. But it's kind of fascinating to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But God's plan from the beginning. You can't read the Old Testament right. and not right. see the whole world. Yeah, and it, it was in priority at time. Uh, Paul says in Romans, uh, to the Jew first and the Gentile. He's declaring priority at time. And he moves through that, declaring that, um, that Abraham was a Gentile. 
and 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 he made him uh, his nation that he built up, but he didn't exclude the Gentile um, uh, when the New Testament came. And even in the Old Testament, you had Gentiles who proselyted in. Um, you had uh, Bathsheba's husband. Uh, you had uh, Ruth the Moabite right. um, and others. They proselyted in. So the, the Old Testament is uh, centripetal. The nations were to come into the nation of Israel. The New Testament is centrifugal. It goes out to the nation. So salvation is always to Jew and Gentile, but predominantly in the Old Covenant is to the Jew and then Gentile were to proselyte in. The New Testament, it's Jew or Gentile, one in Christ Jesus, the book of Ephesians, and we go out to the nations, the Great Commission. Amen. And so no one's excluded. Jew, Gentile, you don't consider yourself a Jew over being a Christian. You don't consider yourself Gentile over being a Christian. We are one in Christ Jesus completely. Amen. Thank the Lord. You know, the scripture tells us as believers that we have been brought into the kingdom of God. Yes. In Colossians. That middle wall of partition has been removed, taken down, Paul says. We are also, of course, in all over the New Testament, warned as believers about those that will have no part in the kingdom of God. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, also Galatians chapter, chapter 5. In verse 19, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts, uh, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Quite a list, actually. But at the end, he says, uh, those who practice such things will not inherit. Right. And there's the key. Those that practice such things. Because even as Christians, we still have those same potentials. Yes. And sometimes Christians do fall prey to those. David certainly did. But you don't live there. You don't practice those. And if you do fall into them, there are consequences that come. There are repercussions. Though David was forgiven, I would rather be David before Bathsheba than after Bathsheba. Absolutely. So that's always the, 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 the fear of God that has to be placed and proclaim, and each individual has to weigh the consequences out. Do I want to gamble with I can get away with it or whether or not? And no one gets away with anything. You have to think in the final result, there's never going to be a person who is pleased for their rebellion against God. No. There's never going to be anybody. There'll always be regret. Amen. Always. Because you can look back. Uh, hindsight is 100%. Yeah. Foresight isn't. Right. You're just hoping for the best. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're looking at, in, in the Gospels, Jesus shares a whole list of parables that we call the kingdom parables. And as we're talking about the different perspective of the Old and the New Testament, how the Lord brings all those things together in the Gospel, in Matthew 13:52, Jesus says, Therefore every scribe instructed, concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. And is Jesus foreshadowing the changing economy of the New Testament at that point? Sure. And the whole thing aspect also that the Old Testament scriptures, that's all they had. But there was a New Testament that's going to be written. So the Bible is Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation. Uh, The New Testament... Uh, is is hidden in the in the old but revealed in the new. So 
it's the New Testament that interprets the Old. It's progressive revelation in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Yeah, it is and the foundation. So, right, it's right. the foundation. Pastor X, what do you think about, there's a whole group of new uh, pastors and teachers out there that have this idea that they are called only to teach the New Testament. How do you respond yeah, to that? Yeah, that's um, unbiblical and very foolish. Yeah. The Bible is Genesis to Revelation. Um, I've taught Book of Numbers. Right now we're in Second Chronicles on Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Uh, it's the word of God. Uh, we're to, Paul says uh, to the Ephesians, I did not shun to give you the full counsel of God. So you do not omit anything. You do not become the arbitrator and the judge of what is good for the people or is not. You are to give all of the word of God to the people of God. Work systematically, whether it's from one book to another or back and forth, whatever Lord leads you as a pastor. But you must give the entire word of God to the people of God. Amen. Amen. It's it's a it's satanic. It's 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 carnal. It's uh, an attack upon the kingdom of God, the power of God, and the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, it's like what the enemy's always been trying to do: take the scripture out of people's yep, hands. Absolutely, that's what he wants. It's it's wild, you know. The word the word of God is is so essential to everything that we do. Interesting in the the future fulfillment of God's promise, we see, you know, the kingdom. And you mentioned in Revelation chapter eleven, at the sounding of the seventh angel, saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Revelation uh, chapter eleven, yes, and verse fifteen. Yes. You know, and there's that at the end of the tribulation period after seven years. The Lord's coming back. The second coming is really God. Jesus returns to save the world from destruction. What's the fear of everybody? Oh, nuclear holocaust, this and that. Everybody's afraid of, of nuclear exchange. Yeah. We're going to destroy ourselves. Well, that's exactly why Jesus returns. If he wouldn't have returned in the second coming, the earth would destroy itself. He actually returns to save the world from itself. Man is destructive. He is never satisfied with a small piece of the pie. He always wants a little more. And uh, it's been said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And unfortunately, we are very powerful. Human beings are much more powerful today than maybe any other time in our history. But fortunately for believers... We are under the protection of the Lord. Sure. And we realize that our kingdom is not here. It's not upon this earth. Yeah. We're just passing through. We're strangers and, and pilgrims, uh, you know, uh, sojourners, if you will. Uh, and even as you mentioned the kingdom parables in Matthew uh, 13, those are key parables. The kingdom there is a, a, a tainted care, uh, kingdom. It's a, it's a fallen kingdom. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. But yet you take some pastors and some teachers that teach that the kingdom parables, the world's going to get better and better. They interpret the parables backwards. Parables do one of two things. They compare, they contrast. Right. They have a, um, a punchline and a central theme. You cannot interpret everything in the parable unless it, the interpretation is given within the parable. And Jesus does that. So it's important to understand that the kingdom of heaven uh, and the kingdom of God, we're moving in process to bring it about, but it is a fallen world right now. It's in opposition to God. And only those who respond to the word of God are in the kingdom of God at this point. Amen. And with that in mind, we want to encourage our listeners out there, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, take opportunity. 
Absolutely. Just call on the name of the Lord. He died for you. He became sin for you. He made uh, that payment and the Father accepted it. And so we are justified. I realize that I am a sinner and rebelling against God, but Jesus paid that price and justified me. I'm presenting the righteousness of Jesus Christ before the Father. I'm believing and I'm agreeing with that, that that's the only way I can be accepted for my heart to be transformed and my life to be transformed and for my sins to be placed in the deepest ocean and to be never mentioned again by God's grace. Grace through faith. The gift is salvation, not the faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is salvation. And he gives it to you. Call on his name. Ask him to save you. Find a church or a group of people to study the word of God and be a light and be salt to those around you. And just keep it simple all the time. God bless you. You've been listening to Keep It Simple with your host, Pastor Xavier Reese on Simple Truths Radio. We hope today's broadcast has informed, encouraged, and challenged you in your own personal walk with Christ. For more information regarding Simple Truths Radio Ministries or Calvary Chapel Pasadena, please visit calvarychapelpasadena.com. We hope you'll be back for our next discussion, and may God richly bless your day.